Well, hello friends, and welcome to another episode of Weekly. So glad that you are back um, with me again this week. Um, We are in February for real, which is exciting because February is uh, the month in which I was born. It's on the 19th. I'll be celebrating my birthday. Always a good time. Um, always like February. So uh, I'm excited to uh, be back with you again. I have three interviews coming up in the next uh, few weeks. So um, be on the lookout for those. And um, I'm excited about some of the friends that I'm getting to uh, to talk with and, and talk about life and relationships and family and what they're doing all across the country. So that's coming soon, um, starting next week on the next episode of Weekly. Today, I want to do a special episode, and I think this is an important topic that we talk about, and we've hit a little bit on this, but I really wanted to spend an entire episode talking about this idea because I think it's very important in the climate that we live in, okay? And so uh, today's episode is called Digital Neighbors and Distant Empathy. So I find it kind of ironic that um, we have friends on Facebook and those are the people that we um, are most angry with and yell at the most and uh, can stand the least, except that we chose to add them as friends on this social network. It seems that we have no care or concern for our digital neighbors. And maybe we just don't know how to deal with that reality and um, or what is a digital neighbor and why does that matter and why should I care for those people online? So did you watch Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood as a kid? I, I mean, I, I definitely did. Everyone I know has at least had some contact with that show. And in um, that series, Mr. Rogers tries to uh, encourage uh, friendship and inclusivity and um, being a good neighbor and talks about what that means to care about others and to care for the needs of others. And I think that we really struggle in a digital framework culture that is driven by the desire to um, have likes and comments and be better than other people. We really struggle with caring for the other online. And part of that um, is because of the medium that we're using of the internet, the anonymous nature of not seeing people's actual faces, but seeing people's pictures, avatars, Instagrammed life, and all that kind of stuff. Um, it becomes difficult to see them as actual people, right? We just see them as like ideas and we want to destroy them, but we don't really want to destroy people, right? But it's, it's easy to um, push down someone when you just think you're destroying their idea and not their actual person. But ultimately the question is, is there a difference? If you just rake someone over the coals, if you just destroy them online, Does that have no effect on their person, on their soul, on who they are? I don't think that we can just completely remove the reality from this experience, even though it may not be obvious, even though that's not what's in front of us. 
I have a hard time thinking that we can just live in complete anonymous nature and be unfazed and unmoved because that's not who we are as human beings. So that's what I want to explore today. How can we be good digital neighbors in a distant empathy world? And hopefully by the end of this episode, that will make sense. So before we get any farther, let's define some terms. Here's how Webster's Dictionary defines empathy. The action of understanding, being aware of, being sensitive to, and vicariously experiencing the feelings, thoughts, and experiences of another of either past or present without having the feeling, thoughts, and experience fully communicated in an objectively explicit manner. So the idea is that empathy is sitting in something with someone. Um, sympathy and empathy are not the same thing. Sympathy is feeling sorry for someone. Sympathy is, oh, I'm sorry you experienced that. Empathy is, wow, I bet that hurt. Wow, I never thought about it like that. Or the ultimate idea of empathy is, me too. I feel you on that. I understand. I'm putting myself in your shoes. Now, empathy is a skill that we can get better at, and there are plenty of people who are helping um, the world understand vulnerability and empathy and um, emotion. Um, Probably the most famous is a lady named Dr. Brene Brown, and I'll link to her in the show notes, and you can read about her if you want to learn about empathy. I am not an expert on empathy. Um, Most people are not, but she is, and she can teach you a lot about empathy. So I don't just want to talk about empathy today because, as I've stated, I am no expert in empathy. If you want to learn about that, please look up Brene Brown's stuff. What we want to talk about today is an idea called distant empathy. Now, I heard about distant empathy the first time in 2009. Uh, My wife, then girlfriend at the time, for my... uh, birthday or Christmas or something, maybe every present for a year, bought me a ticket to go to the Catalyst Conference in Atlanta that October. And not only did she buy me a ticket for the conference, she bought me a ticket for the um, pre-lab stuff the day before. There were speakers, there were different events, there are all these things going on to learn from. And I got to go to that as well, plus the conference. And it was unbelievable. It was one of the greatest like gifts that anyone has ever given me. And while I was there, um, I heard a guy speak. His name was Shane Hips. Now, Shane is, um, uh, I think at one time was a Mennonite. He also worked for uh, Porsche in the advertising world. Uh, he was a pastor. He worked at Mars Hill Bible Church for a while. Uh, has written several books and is just kind of an interesting person. And back then, he had written a book called Flickering Pixels, and it was about how technology shapes us. And he talks a lot about Marshall McLuhan, who we've talked about on this podcast briefly and, and definitely on Beard Songs and Theology. If you listen to that podcast, we've talked about those ideas before, that the medium is the message. The way in which you communicate something um, shapes how you communicate it and ultimately is what you communicate. And so I heard him speak in a breakout session, and he talked about distant empathy. And it was one of the most interesting, eye-opening experiences, and I remember feverishly taking notes. This idea of distant empathy, um, even then, which was seven-plus years ago, almost eight years ago, felt so important for what was coming. And you have to remember, this was 2009, which was 
obviously Facebook and Twitter and all those things were important and large, but not to the scale in which they are used now. There's no such thing as Facebook Live, Periscope, Vine, Snapchat. None of those things like really existed at all. You could watch videos on Facebook. You could put things live on television. But the idea that like at any point in time, you could just go live on Facebook in front of hundreds of people, that you could just share that information, that wasn't even real. And it felt so important then, and I think it's just as important, if not more important now. I actually did my senior research project on distant empathy and developed um, a model and an experiment where I had one of Cammie's friends track all of her media intake. And she did this for, I think, two weeks. And she tracked everything that she watched, read, listened to, uh, surfed on the web, everything that she did, and the big things that happened that day, if it was positive, if it was negative, what was going on in the world, what she was experiencing. And then she reported on how that made her feel with the with her friends as she interacted with people around her, if the things that she was reading about and experiencing online had any effect on her actual friendships and her ability to connect with other people. And so without going into all the details of that, um, I think you can guess what the result is. And that is there was a direct connection between how much media she took in, how much information she was taking in, especially if it was non-positive, and the relationship that it had um, with feeling less connected with the people around her. So the more media consumption plus negativity equaled Less connection, more negativity, and a general sadness about life. The more media that was taken in, that was the result. And so that was where the idea of distant empathy comes from, and that's what Shane talks about in his book, Flickering Pixels, and and other people have written about this idea that there's only a certain amount of empathy that we have to give. And we give that away whether we want to or not. You can't watch the news and say, I'm not giving my empathy away to you. You can't read something on Facebook and say, I'm not giving my empathy away. You can't watch a video on YouTube and say, nope, I'm just going to casually watch. You don't have control over um, giving your empathy away to other people. You can get better at empathizing with other people. That's definitely true. But you don't have control over the fact that you have empathy, that you're capable of empathizing We just give all of it away. We are finite creatures living in an infinite world of information. And our psyche was not created for the 24-hour news cycle. And it most certainly was not created for this social media cycle that we have found ourselves in. So this was in 2009 as I'm learning about this. I think this is extremely practical and real for today. And that is that we can't handle this much freedom online. There are plenty of studies that have been going on where people report being happier when they're not on Facebook. They have more fulfilled lives and they feel less stress when they're not on Facebook. And this is why that is true for people, because they're not giving away their empathy to things that don't really matter or things that really do matter, but you can't do anything about because you can't choose how much empathy you give away. You can only get better at offering it to other people. We live in an age of paradox where we want to have a tribe, but we also want to be individual. We don't want to be labeled, but we also want to group ourselves with people who think like us. 
So, and the most obvious example of anyone would be someone who's considered like a hipster, right? They're, they're unique and they're different, but ultimately they're just like all the other people that are trying to be unique and different. And now we're the same, but we want community, but we want to be individuals, but we want community. So we create these very closed, tight knit tribes and the other is wrong. The other person is the wrong person. The other group is wrong and we're the right ones and we have the the right answers and they don't because we want that feeling of security. We want to know that it is okay. And so we live in this paradoxical society where on one hand we are completely okay with ourselves and putting ourselves out there and putting ourselves, you know, un, unfiltered online while we craft and curate our photos and um, prep for everything that we do to put our best foot forward in the name of honesty, in the name of transparency, just put myself out there, except that I spent four hours thinking about this photo that I was going to post, right? I spent 30 minutes crafting this tweet, but there are limitations to those things. And we give ourselves away, we give our empathy away when we are invested in those different forms of social media. Now, that's not a bad thing. There's nothing wrong with seeing what is happening around the world, seeing what's happening down the street. I'm not saying that social media is bad. It's somewhat unavoidable in the world that we live in, and it's not all bad, right? There have been plenty of good things that have come from this social media revolution. We are more connected to causes than ever. If someone gets online and says, hey, I have a friend who is, um, you know, going through uh, cancer and they can't pay for their treatment. I've seen people give thousands of dollars within hours to support someone. There are just limitations that each medium has, and we need to be aware of those things and act in an educated manner to keep ourselves from becoming just completely numb. The effects of digital empathy are not that you become cold and angry necessarily. It could just be that you become numb to the things that are going on around you because you're so overwhelmed by all these things that you cannot change and you cannot control. Suddenly you find yourself disconnected from your friends and your family and pulling away and um, you're at a party with your friends and you're checking your phone and looking at your friends on Facebook to see what's happening. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm just as guilty. We're all guilty of doing that, of disconnecting from what is real and tangible in front of us to connect with our facade self and see how many likes we got on that picture. You just want to check. You just want to know, right? You just want to see how it's going. So because of distant empathy, we have created this version of anonymous intimacy. And that is, oh, I know these people. I know them so well. They're, I know everything about them. And you see that most obviously in uh, like celebrity culture, right? They're everywhere. Uh, you, you know, oh, I know these people. I know these celebrities. I feel like I know everything about them. I know what they had for lunch and what they had for dinner and what they like to do on the weekends. But we don't actually know them. If you saw them on the street and said, hey, you know, so-and-so, I follow you on Snapchat and I love these stories that you do. They have no idea who you are. And so it, it connects you with people who are far away. It connects you with people who are um, unaccessible normally, but it can also drive a wedge between close friendships. And so there's the paradox of a society where everything is accessible, 
but we're more disconnected from the people around us than ever. So there's good that comes with this technology, but at the end of all of it, we have to be able to control what we can control and recognize the safeguards that we need to put in place to take care of ourselves. And so Shane Hips has a quote in the book Flickering Pixels, and, and I really like this, and I think it makes the point very well. And here's what he says. We are only puppets of our technology if we remain asleep. So the the way that we counteract this effect of distant empathy, of actually caring for those people around us and sort of taking back our empathy, is to wake up and to recognize what's going on and say, you know what? I'm not going to become numb to this. I'm not going to just pacify myself. I'm going to do something about this. I'm going to make different choices. Marshall McLuhan has a quote um, that says, first we shape our tools, then our tools shape us. So we create these things to help us, to make things better, to advance technology, science, medicine, art, whatever. And then those tools will shape us. There's a quote from Socrates about the alphabet. And he said that the alphabet will create forgetfulness in learners' souls. They will trust the written characters and not remember themselves. Socrates was weary of the written language of the alphabet being used to create a written history. And he's concerned that people will forget who they are, forget this oral tradition that they grew up in, and start just relying on what they write down and what other people write down. So I I don't think that the alphabet is a bad thing. I don't think anyone would say, oh, written history is a bad thing. It's not. But every advance in technology, every advance in our culture comes with a cost. And part of the way of fixing that, of making it better, is just being aware of it. So how do we care for our digital neighbors? What does it mean to be a good neighbor to those around us and those we encounter online? Here are three things that I think would help all of us, myself included, okay? This is something that is personal to me as well um, because this is where we live and this is something that I'm working through personally in this year of um, creating better things, creating a better world, being a part of something better. Uh, Part of that is considering the effects of what I'm doing on myself and my relationships and what matters to me. So here are three things, three ways that we can care for our digital neighbors. Number one is to invest in face-to-face conversations, which seems like, well, well, how's that going to make it better for people online if I'm investing in face-to-face conversations? Well, when you're investing with people face-to-face, actual friends. It's going to help you when you have conversations with people online because you'll remember that they are also people as well. There's not, it's not different. There's, there's a real person behind that screen. It's not just an avatar. It's not just something you can shoot darts at. It's a person with feelings. And so if we're investing in conversations and real empathy and understanding with others, that's going to translate into better understanding with people online. Number two, along those same lines, would be to consider the other person before you make a harsh judgment. So we want to invest in face-to-face conversation. We want to invest in empathy, but we also want to consider others before we post something, before we judge them so harshly. Just pause. Just take five seconds and pause and say, is this helpful? Is this constructive? Is this good 
or am I just being reactionary? So consider them. Take a second and consider. And number three is to remember the constraints that come with each form of media. So every avenue that you use to communicate with someone has limitations, right? Like Twitter, that's part of the allure of Twitter is literally it's 140 characters that you're limited to. So you have to say something quick and fast, but you can't fit your worldview and your life story in 140 characters. So before you post a response or an outrage or whatever you're going to say, remember that there is a constraint. There is a limitation to what that medium can share with other people. And it is going to be seen through that lens. There's no other way. It's going to shape what you say. And so just remember that. So one, invest in face-to-face conversations. Practice empathy. Practice getting better at empathy. Number two, consider other people before you make harsh judgments. Consider and just pause. And number three is to remember the constraints of the forms of media that you're using because all of them are not created equal and all of them have limitations and will color what you say because the medium is the message. So if you want to be a good digital neighbor in this 21st century, let's remember that we only have so much empathy that we can give. And I don't know about you, but I want to give that empathy to the people in my life that matter the most, to my wife, my children, my family, my friends, my church community. Those are the people who I want to give myself to, not strangers on the internet who write articles that I don't know and I'll never meet. Those people aren't as important as the people who are actually around me. So, Let's be good digital neighbors. Let's care for those around us. And maybe, just maybe, 2017 will be the best year that we've ever had because we collectively decided that we weren't going to be asleep and to be numb by the things of the internet, but that we were going to wake up and see what is around us and see the opportunities that are available to care for other people. Weekly is a podcast that explores life, faith, and culture through meaningful conversations. New episodes are available each Tuesday. You can subscribe in iTunes or Stitcher or listen on SoundCloud. Just search for Weekly Podcast. That's W-K-L-Y. You can also follow Weekly on Twitter at W-K-L-Y underscore pod or send an email to weeklypodcast at gmail.com.